Hello and happy holiday Monday. At least it's a holiday here in British Columbia. I'm Todd Maffin. Today, a special edition. Mark Eamon is the CEO of revenue marketing agency DemandSpring. Earlier this month, he wrote a great piece on marketingprofs.com called B2B Marketing After COVID-19. What changes and what doesn't? And I thought I'd get him in here to chat a little bit more about that. He joins me from his home in Ottawa. Hi, Mark. Hey, Todd. Great to, uh, great to be with you. Thanks for having me on today. Well, thank you. You know, we see a lot of consumer marketing folks changing their messaging um, in the last few months, sometimes a little abruptly. <laughs> but I don't see a lot of B2B agencies or firms changing things up. Am I wrong there? No, you know, I think most B2B firms realize that, um, you know, they have longer sales cycles, uh, that, um, you know, now is a time to to serve more than to sell. I would say that's the change that we're seeing more in B2B is that, um, you know, most organizations realize that it's tough to, um, you know, to drive, um, you know, bigger, bigger deals, definitely tough to drive transformational deals that, you know, where they can build affinity and loyalty is by serving over selling. And that, you know, with their existing clients, those that they, they take that posture with, that they're there to support and to, you know, help stand up as best they can in in this time is how they're going to win, you know, to some degree in the short term, but absolutely in the long term. Can you give me some examples of how B2B firms are, are, are doing that, making that transition to from, from selling to serving? Yeah, I think a lot of it comes through content, right? It's identifying how you know, they can help educate, how they can help their clients pivot um, you know, in light of the current environment. And that comes you know, from thought leadership and expertise, content. And it could be through simple ways, helping to, you know, even identify how they can support the employees within their customer base. You know, we've seen a lot of examples of puzzles, of coloring books being created by B2B firms. Um, by B2B uh, firms, B2B. really? Yeah, B2B, um, you know, even, even B2C, you know, we've, we have examples of clients who, um, you know, we work with who... Um, you know, various ways. We're, we're even, uh, as an organization, Demand Spring, we run virtual yoga um, within, our, within our organization. We've been doing it for a couple of years. We've got some certified yoga instructors on our staff. We've offered that out to our clients. So, you know, it's a way to, um, you know, in many ways, looking at, helping to look after the health of their clients, employees, the children of their their employees, you know, whatever ways that they can, you know, just kind of come together. And I, I think what we're seeing, which is has been wonderful to see, much like in society overall, is that people are putting community and and a helping hand in front of commerce. And you know, we are even seeing that in B2B, which is fantastic. Yeah. Let me take you back in time a bit. In your article in Marketing Profs, which is how I found you originally a couple of weeks ago, um, you noted that about 10 years ago or so, Harvard Business Review uh, did a study of corporate performance after that recession. What did we learn then that might serve as a bellwether for today? Well, I think it's, yeah, it was a great article. It, it really traced the, um, the article for, for folks who didn't see my, or the study for folks who didn't see my article that summarized it, went back across four recessions. Now, this was as of 20, you know, the 2008 financial um, services-led recession. And it, it looked back for, through four previous recessions, and it found that um, uh, Overall, organizations who um, found the right balance between um, uh, things to cut 
and things to keep um, were ones that that fared better. And importantly, one of those areas to keep and to proportionally spend more on was marketing. That you know, if you maintain a presence in the market, if you can maintain engagement, if you can show strength and stability in a declining market, you uh, tend to outperform your your competitors both during the recession and certainly for the longer term after the recession. That that ability to really project presence and strength and engagement and stability and serve with a strong message in market and a strong presence in market helps you both in the short term and the longer term. Yeah. You, you quote a, a saying that I'm quite fond of as well in your piece, in good times, you should advertise. In bad times, you must advertise. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, you know, th- there, there are a lot of good reasons to do so beyond what I just cited as well. You know, there, the fact is that um, the, there's less noise in the market, so you tend to stand out. And traditionally, paid media, um, you know, not surprisingly declines in price point in a recession. And we've seen that already in the last two months where the cost of Google um, uh, AdWords, for example, have declined and the performance has increased, right? So there's less noise, um, prices are going down, and you have the ability to shine um, better in, in a time like this. You know, what's interesting as I hear you talk is when, when I'd sort of scheduled this interview with you, I had thought as in the case of, of most sort of marketing exercises, that there's a real difference in terms of B2C versus B2B, that the, the type of marketing, the scale of marketing, the pace of marketing, the, the decision flow, th- that they're quite different. And every, everything so far that you've said in our brief time together, it sounds like B2C. <laughs> well, so there are obviously absolute differences, right? Um, especially from, you know, B2B to non-considered purchases in B2C, obviously the length of a, of a sales cycle, the number of individuals involved in, in the buying process is much different in a B2B buying process than a, you know, a B2C transactional sale. But one thing that B2B has done, I think tremendously well, much better certainly in the last five to seven years than the first 15 to 17, 18 years of my career anyways, is we have increasingly recognized um, an amazing thing that B2B buyers are actually humans. They have emotions <laughs> um, and you can tap into these emotions. And so, you know, we, we have seen B2B organizations step out from behind their well-manicured brands in the last five to seven years and really reveal themselves to be very human, to show empathy, to use humor, to show fear, um, to, to really uh, engage with um, you know, their B2B stakeholders in a way that is much more human and that is much more emotion-driven and it isn't all you know, rational product features, capabilities, and um, you know, things that uh, the rational part of our brain would, uh, would, um, you know, would, would hold appeal to. Um, so, and do you, you know, think, think that'll stick? Do you think that'll stick through this? Absolutely. I mean, I, I think it's a trend that, you know, was happening long before COVID-19 um, came about. Mm. And I think if anything, COVID-19 has further made B2B brands more human, right? It's recognized that you need to step out from behind the brand, that, you know, human faces of the company, um, you know, acting and speaking in a way that is compassionate and that shows empathy and, um, you know, that reflects, um, you know, the individuality of the people within a brand is really important to connecting and engaging. There's been a lot of studies, Google and um, the corporate executive board did a study three or four years ago that we, we cite often with our clients that showed that the role of personal values 
is actually more important in B2B buying than professional values. That if you can appeal to, you know, a buying team's um, uh, aspirations, their fears as individuals, what a buying process can do for their careers, um, you know, and, and you can build affinity and loyalty at a human level, that has a bigger impact on critical purchase um, values such as, uh, you know, to buy or not to buy, to pay a premium price, to retain and renew a B2B client. So, I, yeah, I think it's here for the long run. Why do you think it's been so hard for B2B companies to, to work in that emotional and human space? You know, I think it's fear. I think for the longest time, B2B brands, you know, there was this, there was just this trend that a, a B2B brand had to be careful and cautious and considerate that, um, <clears throat> you know, there was, there was a concern from a legal standpoint that um, showing and from a corporate communication standpoint that showing too much of the human nature of the brand went against brand values when it against brand guidelines and and was not something that a B2B company should do that, you know, there was this posture, if you will, that we're a serious purveyor of whatever product or service selling to serious businesses that have serious buying teams and procurement people. And, you know, it, it has to be a serious conversation. It can't reflect humor. It shouldn't reflect empathy. Uh, it needs to reflect, you know, rational buying proof points, not emotional ones. And, you know, I think we've, we, you know, through trial and error and the, the evolution of marketing and studies such as the Google one um, and innovative voices in the market like Ann Handley and Jay Baer, um, you know, we've learned that that's not the case. Yeah. Inside the, the sort of universe of B2B marketing, um, in addition to the B2B agencies and, and service providers, uh, in addition to the actual organizations that do that work, the sort of the third constellation in that universe are the MarTech firms, the, the um, SAAS software providers, you know, that service those organizations. How do you see them faring um, post-COVID? Uh, so there are 8,000 MarTech vendors out there right now. I, I think um, there will be certainly some of them that, um, you know, the, the capital runway will, will um, run out. And, you know, I suspect given the economic impact of what we're going through that capital, venture capital financing, private equity financing will not flow as freely as before. So I think, I think you're going to see probably a culling of some of the firms that are out there. Mm. I think you'll see a strengthening of some of the, the strong players, folks like Adobe and Salesforce, for example, HubSpot. Um, obviously have the, the wherewithal to withstand, um, you know, this time frame, and they've built a great vision and set of technologies. But I think you'll also see a real flourishing of innovation coming from this as well. You know, we, we tend to see, if you look back on the last two cycles of, of recessions, um, in 2001, companies like Salesforce and Eloqua that was later bought by Oracle, but, you know, really was the, the pioneer in marketing automation. They emerged from the 2001.com um, bubble and burst. In 2008, firms like Marketo and HubSpot and Hootsuite emerged um, during those times. So you tend to see um, when there's market disruption and economic disruption, um, entrepreneurialism we know flourishes during those times. People you know, lose their jobs and, and they turn to entrepreneurism. Not everyone certainly, but, but some people do. And that's where innovation flourishes. So I think we're setting up, I think this time frame is going to see a culling of the folks who, um, 
you know, 8,000, there's definitely some, as I said in my article, some wheat and some chaff in 8,000 vendors. I think you're going to see a culling of the chaff. I think you'll see the continued strengthening of the, of the um, heavyweights. But I also think you'll see the next class of innovation come from this time. Of the group that survives the culling, I'm not speaking of the big Adobe and HubSpot yeah. that, you know, have the capital survive this, but of that group of the smaller uh, B2B SA, <laughs> oh my God, I'm going to say so many acronyms, B2B SAAS tools um, that survive the culling, what do they have in common? Why, why does that group that will survive two years from now, why did, when we look back on it, why did that group survive? I, I mean, I think it comes down to value, right? I think there are... Um, there are some, you know, great, amazing technologies that provide tremendous value, you know, um, that, um, you know, folks like Drift who, you know, you could argue are, are making their way towards heavyweight status, right? And other smaller, smaller vendors, Path Factory is a good one based out of uh, Toronto, Canada. Um, they've got a great technology that helps their clients nurture clients through a strong B2B buying process in a very targeted, relevant way. You know, to me, there is tremendous value in in technologies that um, uh, you know I, I think is going to drive their relevance moving forward and their ability to continue to operate and to um, you know gain clients even in an environment that might be tough because of the value they bring to clients. You started your career in the mid '90s when the Great Recession was still affecting things. You noted in your article that B two B marketing has really benefited from the um, uh, the influx of, of millennial talent in the last 10 years or so. Mm-hmm. How do you think the next 10 years will fare for B2B agencies or service providers in terms of recruiting? Well, it's clearly been in the last few years an employee market, right? The, you know, if you look at um, prior to <laughs> prior to the last two months, the level of, of employment and the ability for, you know, people graduating to find um, great careers and really contribute and, you know, people at all stages of their careers to, to be employed, um, you know, in, in opportunities where they're really helping to transform marketing to a large degree. I think we're obviously going to flip to more of an employer's market where, you know, we, we've seen the number of, um, you know, the, the number of people that have been added to the unemployment ranks in the last couple of months has been astounding. And that's touching, you know, I think every part of the economy. So, you know, I think you're going to see employers, be it on the client side, on the agency side of things, that will um, be able to pick and choose a little bit more and, you know, have the, the ability to really add great talent to their organization. My hope is that, um, you know, one of the things that comes out of this time is that more and more employers recognize that not being tied to a given market, but being flexible in terms of where they hire from really enables you to add great talent to your organization. At, at my company, DemandSpring, we've had a work from anywhere policy now um, since I founded the company in 2012. And we have people across North America. We've enabled people, younger people, millennials, who have had an itch to go and live in, in France or the UK um, to, to go and do that and continue working for us um, or to go and live and work by ski hills um, to, to do that. And, and uh, that's enabled us to find great talent, keep great talent, and um, you know, drive retention, which has really helped service our clients. So you know, I think if, if employers are really open to uh, widening the aperture in terms of where they hire from, they will find great talent over the next little while, given the dynamics that have shifted. Uh, many of the people who listen to the podcast are are in senior roles. They're obviously in digital marketing roles. So, if you had, uh, if you were paid a million dollars to sit down with a senior VP of digital marketing 
of a B2B agency or firm and you only had 60 seconds to get through what you wanted to get through to them, what would you tell that executive in terms of surviving COVID, in terms of how to position their B2B firm for the next five years or so? You know, I, I, to me, it's focus. You know, it's got to be, it's got to come down to focus, right? In, in going through what we're going through right now and, you know, coming out of it. And, and obviously, I think many marketers have um, seen a reduction in the resources available to them, whether or not it's people or, or marketing budget or even just availability of target audiences that you've got to be more and more focused than ever before, right? Identify your, your industries and your target accounts within those industries that are most relevant, that are more, you know, have the greatest propensity to buy at this time and, and as we go through this. And then it's how do you orchestrate your firm for delivering highly relevant conversations to them? You know, to me, the ability to connect and engage with somebody sits today at the intersection of data and content. And, you know, we all know that there's so much noise coming at us in our inboxes, our social media channels on the web, you know, when we drive down highways, billboards, that you've got to be hyper-targeted and hyper-relevant. So focus, identify your, you know, winnow down your ideal client profile for, for the current time and your target personas for the current time, and then really make sure you have your data house in order and your content to support those target audiences so that you can have really targeted, relevant conversations that get amplified at scale through technology without losing the humanity in our communication. Going back to, you know, going back to the, the earlier part of our conversation, we've got to figure out a way to become more and more human in our communication. And while we need to scale with technology, we've got to find a way to speak in a very human voice at the same time. What does Demand Spring do, Mark? We're a B2B revenue marketing consultant. So we work with um, B2B organizations in a variety of industries, technology, financial services, and others, from high growth, earlier stage organizations to a lot of Fortune 500s to really enable them to transform their marketing practices to deliver against the top line requirements the organization has. So we're helping them better understand the buyer journey and buyer personas to optimize their demand system, how they, how they take leads in manage them over to a business development or a sales team. We help them build content strategies and we help them implement the technologies that drive engagement at scale. And what sort of size company and type of company do you uh, end up providing the most value? You know, I, I would say any, we provide value to clients ranging from, you know, organizations who are earlier stage, but who are committed to transformation. We work with companies who, you know, have, um, uh, you know, enough financing and a large enough team that they, um, you know, really understand that transformation and, and putting in place practices that drive really targeted high engagement throughout the buyer journey is something that is needed. Right up to, we do a lot of work with, you know, large organizations, the, the BNY Mellons, the Fidelities of the World, the Iron Mountains, the Cannons, uh, the Akamai's, um, Staples. Um, you know, it, the common thread for us is marketers who want to transform and really be highly relevant and um, drive engagement to, um, uh, to buyers throughout the buyer journey that drives conversion to pipeline and revenue. Uh, for those who are who are really interested in being really strategic and contributing to the top line and the necessary strategy, process, practice, and technology change that comes from that, those are the ones that get us excited and get us out of bed in the morning. Mark, how do people reach you if they wanted to follow up and find out more about Demand Spring? 
And they can just uh, uh, email me at mark at demandspring, M-A-R-K at demandspring.com uh, or go to our website, demandspring.com. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, thanks, Todd. Great uh, speaking with you today. So that's Mark Eamond of DemandSpring. Again, check out their site, demandspring.com. That's it for the special holiday edition. I'm Todd Maffin, back tomorrow with the regular show. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.